Well, there's a good resolution for you. Thanks so much for being at Mile Straight today. So glad you are. If you would, reach into your bulletin and take out your note sheet. That's a little different than normal. Uh, Typically, we have a study guide to go by, but uh, because I was having such a a difficult time figuring out what we were going to study today, uh, you just have a note sheet today. Honestly, I went back and forth between eight different passages of Scripture before God finally gave me peace on Friday about what we were going to be studying today. That's not typical. And uh, I don't necessarily enjoy that, but I'm grateful when God does give me the peace to know exactly what He has in mind for our study. And so as a result of you not having the fill-ins, they won't be on the screens either because no one knew. Uh, In fact, our tech people are sitting back there blind right now wondering what we're going to go by. But uh, because we don't have that for you to go by, I'll be very intentional to spell it out, tell you here's point number one, here's point number two, so that you can write it in and keep up with it. And there's a lot of things to go under the different points. So please also be intentional about listening. As I'm intentional about sharing, you be intentional about listening and jot down information as we come across it, okay? Today we're going to be talking about a subject that uh, may be very familiar to you. It may not be. We're talking about the person of Jonah. Uh, In fact, we're going to be dealing with Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be reading a few verses from there. And then we'll be relaying a lot of the additional parts of that story to you. But what I wish you would do, because we're not going to have time to read four chapters in this particular service. I wish that you sometime today would go home and would read the four chapters of the book of Jonah. I think you can do it as a family or as an individual. And you will find it to be a captivating, a very interesting story. And it will also fill in some gaps of what we're not going to get to talk about this morning. Today we're talking about the simple thing that misery is overran by mercy. Misery is overran by mercy. There's the title for you. I want to bring you up to speed because we're going to start reading in chapter 1 and verse 7. But what we find in the previous verses is that God is called to Jonah and he says, Jonah, I want you to go to a city, the city being Nineveh, and I want you to cry out against it because their wickedness has come up before me. Now through the process of time, what we find, if you read deeper into, especially chapter 3, you find that God has told Jonah, you tell them they've got 40 days, and in 40 days I'm going to level the city. 40 days, I'm going to wipe them out because they are so completely wicked. Jonah heard the voice of the Lord. He knew exactly what God intended him to do. But Jonah had a problem with the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh were not only wicked in the eyes of God, but they were also cruel and spiteful and vengeful to the degree that they were hated by most people during that time, Jonah being one. And Jonah determined that if I go to Nineveh as God tells me to, and I cry out against their wickedness, then what's going to happen is they're going to repent of their sin, and God is not going to destroy them. And so the only thing for me to do is not go. I hate those people. I despise those people. And so if I just don't go and tell them, then God will destroy them, and everything will be fine. Everything will be just fine. 
So Jonah does exactly what he figures in his mind would work, and he heads the different direction. The Bible says that he got on a ship and he started to go the opposite direction from Nineveh. But what Jonah did not take into account was that God was pursuing him. Maybe you've already found this to be true, but God does not allow us to live in disobedience. God does not allow us as his children to live in rebellion against him, but will seek us out and will bring discipline into our lives to bring us back to the center of his will. Now, why does he do that? I mean, just so he can be cruel to us, just so he can be mean to us, just so he can mistreat us? No. Because he knows that the center of his will is the very best place for each of us to be. And so God, not willing for us to be somewhere that's not best for us, will discipline us in order to bring us back to the place where we need to be. I, I've used this illustration before. <clears throat> but it's one I really enjoy. I, I think about when our daughter was little. Now she's 20, about to be 28 years old. She's no longer little. But when she was a little child, I can remember times when we would tell her to do something. Now this one is made up. This is not one of those situations. But it falls into the line of the same situation. I can think about her running out toward a busy street and me calling to her, Cam, don't, don't go out there. It's very dangerous. You come back here. And if she wouldn't do it, I would go get her and I would bring her back. And I would talk to her, Cam, you get out in that road. The cars are driving by so fast. You get out there, they're going to hit you and you're going to die. And we just could not stand that. And so maybe a few days would go by and there she would go again out toward the road. And I would call out to her, Cam, I told you, don't go out to the road. It's very, very dangerous. And I would go get her and bring her back. And, and I can imagine long about the third time when she disobeyed and went toward the road again, that I would go get her, but this time there would be some additional complications added to her life when we got back to the house, if you know what I mean. And why would I do something like that? Because I like to beat my child. <laughs> I can tell you that there were times when I really enjoyed that, but no, <laughs> I shouldn't have even said that. No, uh, it actually would tear me apart to have to whip our daughter. It makes me even sadder now to think back about it, but I can tell you the reason I would do that is because I would want her to know and I would want her to get it in her mind that she is not to go near that road because it is very, very dangerous. God works on the same premise. <clears throat> God knows what's best for us in every situation. And as a result, he will go and get us, and he will bring us back. And he will teach us. And he will go and get us, and he will bring us back. But there comes a time when God must discipline. God must perform acts in our lives that causes us to say, you know what? I don't even want to go back out toward that road again. Because it is a painful place to direct my life. Jonah was going to find that to be very much the case in his life. Jonah was going to find that God was out to bring him back to the center of his will. That God was not willing for him to live in rebellion. But the problem was that the center of God's will meant that God had to do something incredible to get Jonah's attention. And it came in the way of a remarkable storm like the sailors on the ship had never experienced before. 
The sailors were watching the storm as it intensified. It grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And I believe it was intensifying because here it was, a small storm. It didn't get Jonah's attention. It was intensified. It was a bigger storm. It didn't get Jonah's attention. It was intensified. It was a bigger and yet bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Till eventually God woke Jonah up. And God had Jonah's attention. The storm was so severe that it appears to us that the sailors on board considered this to be a supernatural experience. There was something going on here that was out of the ordinary. We've seen storms before, but nothing like this. This must be a supernatural experience. So much so that they went to each person. They said, cry out to your God. Cry out to him. Call upon maybe he will see what's happening and he will relieve us of this situation. But as the storm continued to intensify, that didn't seem to work. Then they tried one more thing. And I want to pick up the story now in verse 7. As I said, we'll read down through verse 17 of chapter 1. They, the sailors, said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. This is no doubt throwing dice. Each person might have been assigned a number or something. They would throw the dice. Absolutely the cause of this. The dice don't lie. You know, that sort of thing. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Verse 8. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your company? Of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah. They hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. I can imagine. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So there are several thoughts I want us to see from this. The first one is this. Just what we see on the screen. Misery dominates your life. Misery will dominate your life. Number one, if you're writing, put that down. Misery will dominate your life. 
If you've ever been involved in a miserable situation, you've ever had something going on in your life that you were just miserable to the very core, you know exactly what I'm talking about because misery will control every part of your life. It'll control your feelings, your emotions, your relationships. It'll control your work time, your downtime, your social time. It will control and influence everything, this misery that is upon you. And I want you to know that Jonah was experiencing some incredible misery about now. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would have been going on in his mind? I mean, he thinks that he's fled the presence of the Lord and he has survived it. He's on this boat, he's asleep in the ship, and everything's going fine. When all of a sudden, these guys come and wake him up and say, Man, you got to get up and you got to pray to your God. Something crazy is happening, and we're all going to die on this ship if something doesn't take place. Jonah, thinking he survived it, all of a sudden sees the dice roll his number, and he knows, Oh my goodness, God knows right where I am. I haven't fooled God. He knows exactly where I am, and God is working to get my attention. And can you imagine? Wow, this, this part really blows my mind. Jonah telling these guys, the only way you're going to stay alive is if you pick me up and you throw me in that sea. Now, this was a guy that, at the very best, only swam a little bit. It wasn't like when he hit the stormy sea that all of a sudden he started doing the dog paddle behind the boat and was going to make it to shore and everything was going to be hunkadory. If you read on further, chapter 2, you see that when Jonah hit the water, no doubt he began to sink almost immediately. And the Bible says that he sunk to the bottom of the mountains. In other words, the bottom of the sea and was tangled up in the seaweed. Can you imagine the claustrophobia that would have hit. There was a time in my life when I used to scuba dive. And there was one particular day we went out in really rough seas. And I had a leak in my tank. And when I got to the bottom, we were 98 feet down. I was almost out of air. We swam a little bit. I thought I could make it back. Turned and went back to the anchor line. And when I got to the anchor line, I had two breaths left in my tank. And I knew there was no way I was going to make it to the top on two breaths. And so I breathed in one. I started up the anchor line as fast as I thought I could go without hurting myself. I got about halfway, sucked in my last air. I knew it was the last. It's hard to get that last breath in. And I figured, okay, I'm dead. This is it. I'm not going to make it. I know that feeling of claustrophobia. I, I know that fear that must have swept over him. Now, now, in my case, it turned out pretty well. You might have noticed I'm, I'm here. Uh, I looked up, and there was the dive master right above me. I pulled him down, and I grabbed his spare BC. I started breathing again. That was a really great feeling. But Jonah didn't have that benefit. Jonah was wrapped up in the seaweed and he was tangled. I can imagine that fight for air to hold it in. To, oh, the fear, the anxiety. Man, this guy knew what misery was all about at the bottom of the sea. He knew it. 
But I want you to recognize something from this passage that Jonah wasn't the only one that experienced misery in this story. I mean, you think about the sailors. They were completely innocent of Jonah's sin. They had not caused him to make a bad decision. It wasn't them that said, Jonah, you know what, man, if you'll run away from those people, maybe God will go ahead and destroy them and everything will be fine. <laughs> no, they had nothing to do with it. And yet, as a result of Jonah's sin, the sailors on the boats, their lives were in great jeopardy. Now, here's a really good place to throw this in. We never sin to ourselves. You may think, well, no, this sin of, of drugs, this sin of pornography, this sin of gossip, this sin of slander, whatever the case may be for you, whatever the case may be for me, this sin this just affects me. It's all me. Maybe you've lived long enough to know that's not the case. Maybe you've lived long enough to understand that when I sin, I affect my family. I affect those around me. I affect my relationships. And guess what? Man, the same is true for you. Every time. My sin always affects more than me. The sailors were finding that to be true. Now, something interesting happens with the sailors. We'll see in a few minutes. But, but they were experiencing the misery that belonged to Jonah because Jonah had sinned against God. What a very sad, tragic situation. Now, Jonah's thoughts were all over the place. I mean, this must have been a pretty mixed up guy at this point. In fact, before this point, when he determined that he would run away from the presence of God. Because you think about the people of Nineveh. I mean, they were also living in great misery during this time. If you, if you remember the time, you know Christ is your Savior, you remember the time when you still lived before God's forgiveness, and you know that misery that you experienced. I can remember living before God saved me. I can remember the, the, the things that I tried to do to bring peace and satisfaction to my life. I tried to fill that emptiness in my life. It was never found. Never found it. There would be some temporary pleasure, some temporary joy, but nothing that would last. I would also, always find myself empty again. The people of Nineveh were experiencing misery. And Jonah, he didn't care. You know what? If I stay away from you for 40 days, you're going to die, and I don't have to worry about it. He didn't care. Talk about a mixed up thought process. But then let's not get too direct with what's going on in Jonah's life before we think about what's going on in our own. Because I wonder, maybe it's not done out of hatred, but I wonder how many of us invited someone to simply come and hear what God has to say to them today. I wonder how many of us invited someone to come to church or to the Savior in the last year. I wonder how many of us have ever invited anyone. Okay, and I'm not asking you to raise your hands. Okay, I'm one of those. But let's just be real here for a second. You know, we really can't point our finger at Jonah if we're guilty of the same thing. 
Jonah, at least humanly speaking, had a pretty good reason. Man, he hated those people. You die, I don't care. That's what I hope happens to you. For us, we don't hate the people around us necessarily. We don't know them. We're just afraid we're going to be embarrassed or we're going to invade your privacy or something. What a shame. What a shame. So Jonah was living in misery. The sailors were living in misery. People of Nineveh were in great misery. And unfortunately, a lot of us are as well right now. Misery. Man. Life is hard. Things are going on that just caused us to hit the bottom. But now here's the beauty of the story. Because the story doesn't end with misery. And that would be a pretty rotten story, wouldn't it? If it just ended right there. Jonah about to drown the bottom of the sea. The sailors wondering what in the world's going to happen next. The people of Nineveh, they're doomed because Jonah's going to die in the sea. No one's going to tell them. What a blessing it is to read further into the story and find that God's mercy ruled. In fact, that's the second point. God's mercy ruled. Hey, this, this thing of misery, it looked like it was dominating the scene. And in fact, it was dominating the scene until God entered the equation once again. Now, God was always in the equation, but now that part of God's working is visible again. And God extends to Jonah and to the others mercy such as they did not expect. You think about Jonah. God extends mercy to Jonah. That can be letter A if you want to write it down. God extends this mercy directly to Jonah. God's mercy ruled over his misery. You may say, wait a minute. When you stopped talking a minute ago, you left Jonah at the bottom of the sea, tangled up in seaweed, running out of air, gasping and hoping for a miracle, but knowing no miracle is going to come. That's not God's mercy. But what about verse 17 we read that said that God had prepared a great fish. And this great fish came and sucked Jonah into its belly. You may say, well, I don't really see how that's mercy either. And being sucked into a fish's belly, decaying fish, the stench would be horrible. Every time the fish would open its mouth to suck in more food, this gush of water would roll over Jonah and he'd be fighting once again for air. How is that God's mercy? Jonah was for certain dead if he stayed in the water. But God, knowing that Jonah did not come to the place quite yet to where he was ready to repent, ready to return to the center of God's will, needed to face a little bit more. And so God instead put him in the belly of the fish to where, yes, life was still miserable. And we don't know exactly how long. We know he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And we don't know how long he was in there before we find him praying, crying out to God from the belly of the fish. But eventually, Jonah got to the place where he said, Okay, God, I understand. I don't want to go near that road again. I don't want to be out there where that traffic is going to squish me. I want to be right here in the center of your will. 
And the Bible tells us that something amazing happened. That this big fish, I don't know how big it was. I, I can picture it being a whale. Some people say, well, that's not a fish. Well, whatever. But I can imagine it being that size of a creature. It went to the shore, not into the shallow water, but all the way to the shore. The Bible tells us that it threw him up, puked him out. Excuse me, but that's what happened. Puked him out on dry land. Jonah, it doesn't appear from the story, said, okay, I'm going to go back in the water and wash this stuff off of me because I've got this decaying fish, this fish vomit all over me. I'm going to go back. But it seems that he didn't want to get back in the water. And I don't necessarily blame him because that fish is still out there somewhere, right? I don't necessarily want to get back in the water. What we see then is that Jonah took off to Nineveh, because the Bible tells us the first part of chapter 3, and God came to Jonah again and said, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up against me. Jonah, I told you this in chapter 1, now I'm going to tell you again in chapter 3, and I bet that you're willing to listen now. The Bible says that Jonah took straight off for Nineveh. I don't want to go through that again. I don't want to go near that street. I'm going to Nineveh. Going to Nineveh. Jonah had experienced the mercy of God. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. I deserve hell. I deserve eternity separated from Almighty God. But I didn't get that. What I got instead was forgiveness from God and eternal life in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what I received instead. And that's experiencing the mercy of God. Jonah experienced the mercy of God. But the, the sailors also experienced the mercy of God. You think about them again for a second. Uh, they did not know the one true God. I mean, it's evident by the way that they were talking. Everybody call upon your own God. There's a multitude of gods represented here. But in this situation that they were unfortunately attending... God revealed Himself to them. God showed Himself to the sailors. They got to see God in action in a way that we can only imagine. God bringing this storm. It's a supernatural storm. Who is it? Jonah, you're the dude. we got to throw you in. Can you imagine how much turmoil they had in their minds over that? They weren't like the people of Nineveh. They had a conscience. They were concerned about this guy that they were going to throw into this raging sea. They were going to have to live with that. They didn't want to do that. And so the Bible says that they rode even harder to get to the shore. They didn't want to throw him in. Yet eventually it became clear the only way to do this is to chunk this guy overboard. Jonah was chunked a lot of times in this story, wasn't he? I didn't have to say that either, did I? The sailors got to experience firsthand God's incredible mercy. Peter cried out just as he was told by God. He cried against them. And the Bible says from the highest in the kingdom to the lowest, they began to repent. They began to cry out to God. And God did exactly what Jonah thought that, thought that he would do. He forgave them, 
And did not destroy the city. Now later on you read into the history of the city. You find out that eventually God did destroy them. But God did not destroy them at that time. Because they had repented and turned to him. They experienced the mercy of God. Their wickedness deserved just as my wickedness deserved eternity in hell. But what God gave them instead was mercy. I granted them what they did not deserve. So then what do we do with this information? And I tell you what. I think number one for those of us who are children of God. It ought to cause us to be incredibly grateful. Thank you God for your mercy. Thank you God for not giving me what I deserve. Number two for those of us who are children of God. It ought to cause us to evaluate our lives. To say you know what. I don't want to face the discipline of God. But what I would rather face is the blessings of God. And therefore, I want to live right in the center of God's will. So if I've strayed away from God, if I've, I've turned my back on Him, I, I've, I've gone my own direction, I, I act really good on Sunday, but through the rest of the week, man, no one knows if I'm a Christian or not, if the truth is known. And what I want to do is get back to the center of God's will. I want to come back to the place where I cry out and say, God, I'm sorry. Let me do this now. There's no need for me to have to go through the pain and the agony such as Jonah went through for you to get his attention. When I've been warned and I hear it and I understand it, I see it for what it is. And therefore, God, I just want to do this. The right. I just want to get things right between you and me so we don't have to go down that road. Seems logical to me. Then for those who do not know Christ as Savior, for you today to experience the blessing and the joy and the mercy of God, even as the people of Nineveh did, to come to understand there is a separation between me and God. There is a problem that exists, and that problem is my sin. Sin is simply my rebellion against God. It's not being in the center of God's will. And for me to understand that, to, to, to see it as it is, and to recognize that I'm in great need of a Savior. Let me tell you what we would enjoy doing today. In fact, it would give us such pleasure, I, I can't even begin to explain it to you, is to share with you God's plan of salvation. God has a plan to forgive your sin. It was done through the person of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. God has a plan to forgive your sin and to give you a home with Him forever. To give to you His mercy. Not what you deserve, not what I deserve, but His incredible mercy. And we would love to share that with you. Just explain to you from God's Word what that's all about. If you'd like to know more, then here's what I'm going to invite you to do. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. The instrumentalist will come, Jason will come, and eventually Jason will start singing. And it's just a time of invitation where you respond to my invitation now. My invitation is if you don't know Christ, to come and meet Him today. Come and allow us to share Him with you. 
So then what I'm asking you to do is when I ask you to stand, the music plays, Jason sings, and just to make your way to the aisle that's closest to you and just meet me right here at the front. Thank you.